You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Rogue. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Shining Shoal is a new modern staple, and it's one of the trickiest cards you will ever cast. Special guest Lawson Zandy joins us to reveal the secrets of the Shoal and to unlock the power of the One Ring. Plus new Atraxa decks in Modern and Pioneer. That's all coming up on Faithless Brewing. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am your host, Dan Schriever, also known as Cave Dan. And I'm joined today, just across town, by an old friend of the show. You know him as Zanman. It's Lawson Zandy. Lawson, welcome back. Hello there. I'm happy to be the uh, most recent returning guest. I was the first guest, so I'm happy to be back. How long ago was that? I mean, yeah, you were... Probably the first guest we ever had on the show. I did check. It was um, uh, three weeks from now. It will be three years. So my God, yeah, a little <laughs> little bit. It's uh, uh, almost four thousand new cards in the modern format since that day. That episode, you guys talked about uh, things that you were excited about in Icoria. So just to just to date <laughs> that episode. Had Companions already been previewed at that time? or? Oh, uh, I believe so. But I, I think that we had no idea if they were going to be playable or not. Um, small hint, they were very playable. Very, very playable. I'm going to track that down now. Wild Modern featuring Lawson Zandy. Go look for this episode. <laughs> I'll put a link. You don't have to do the work. In the show notes, if you, if you want to check this out. I remember Lawson told us about all kinds of crazy, bizarre trade mage blood braid elf piles search for tomorrow into niv mizzet all kinds of stuff you were one of the og niv brewers from way back in the day yeah i was uh i i am still a believer that astrolabe uh, is not necessary but you know say lobby so for those listeners who have not been with us since the beginning uh why don't you just take a minute and reintroduce yourself absolutely tell us a little bit about who you are what you play your magic background and who you are as a brewer cool yeah um so my name's lawson i like to think of myself as the youngest old head of magic uh, i recently turned 24 years old and have been playing the game for about uh, 18 19 years pretty competitively um i was <laughs> very lucky uh my my dad actually was one of the head judges for uh, many ptqs uh here in the texas area so i had a really good connection to the community um, just always stayed with the game. Uh, Modern's always been my favorite format, and I've uh, uh, been been lucky enough to have uh, a decent amount of cards around. So loved loved brewing for a long time. Um, happy to play some tier two decks at a tier one level. I like the play tier two decks at a tier one level. Tier two might be a little generous for some of the decks you're talking about, but you make them look good, and that's what counts. 
That's that's the secret. You play enough leagues, you'll get a 5-0, and then you can just tell people it was super easy, you know? So I'm just going to do a little napkin math based on what you just told me. So you, you recently turned 24. Mm-hmm. You've been playing competitively for 18 years. So that puts you at six years old. Is that right? Yes. Um, I played uh, one of my first PTQs ever uh, was standard Mirrodin block constructed. So artifact lands, Arcbound Ravager, um, Vault Whisperer, I think was the name of the 1-1 one, one, uh, black creature that um, killed everybody. Uh, Skull Clamp, all of that jazz. So uh, been been a little bit. Basically, the beginning of modern was kind of when I started Magic. Amazing. So I think I first discovered you on Twitch, right? You were streaming off and on for, for a while, actually. Twitch.tv slash Zanman1414, is that right? That's perfect. Good plug. Um, but it turns out that you're Texas's native son, Texas royalty in the magic scene. I recently moved to Austin, and it turns out you did as well. So now we're able to actually game in person. I feel like I plucked you out of retirement. Like you're like a grizzled old sergeant who has seen too many battles, but you're willing to give it one more go. It's good to be out in the the public. Uh, I will say, I know this is a, a audio um, experience for most people. Uh, Dan is tall. Uh, I, I <laughs> historically am a sloucher. And uh, the first time I was around Dan, I stopped slouching from my regular 5'8 uh, point of view to be six foot, maybe six foot one on a good day. And I'm still short next to Dan. So, uh, you know, just just to you know, fill in the listeners with a l- little bit of vi- visual uh, work. I mean, I'm also a sloucher. I'll meet you in the middle. Don't worry. <laughs> so we can make this work. But yeah, super glad to have you back. And it's super nice to just rediscover the joy of paper modern uh always better to go with a friend so yeah it's been a lot of fun and i'm really excited to hear about what you've been playing because you've been keeping me posted about uh this this new white ponza shining shoal whatever we're gonna call it here and you've been putting up some great results so uh we're gonna hear from lawson all about that deck uh we are also going to hear a little bit about uh, we have a tournament coming up this weekend in dallas the hunter burton memorial open and, kind of unexpectedly, a couple of previews just dropped today of some Lord of the Rings, Middle-Earth, uh, first-look preview cards. So that's the order of business, you know, time permitting. We'll, we'll even take a look at some of the technology going on in Modern and Pioneer. So a lot of different stuff. Very excited for it. Before we dive in, just a brief reminder that if you enjoy the show and you want to support us, you can always do so. We have a Patreon. You can find that at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. You can make a pledge at any tier you like, and that will get you access to our wonderful Discord community where you can occasionally find wonderful players like Lawson uh, streaming their matches. And lots of great discussion as well. We have monthly projects. We vote on cards. We're working on a new one with Melkator Purity Overseer, and I'm very excited to share some of my Melkator brews, which we'll do in our second episode later this week. All right. With all that out of the way, Lawson, tell me about Lord of the Rings. Uh, well, Lord of the Rings is a new thing coming to Magic. It's not Modern Horizons 3, but it will jump straight into Modern. So, you know, that is something to be excited about. We got two cards today. Uh, we also got the five basics. 
I'll start with the basics because they're very basic. Um, I'm not a fan of them. They don't look like basic lands. I will do my best. Old man yells at cloud, but uh, these these are not magic cards. That's that's the most uh, insensitive I'll be towards this set on uh, y'all's um, you know product. I guess we'll start with Gandalf the Gray. Well, hang on, hang on a second here. You can't just I can't let that volley go unanswered. <laughs> you don't like these lands? No, they're they're all the same. So these are. Middle Earth map lands, I guess we would call them that. Mm-hmm. So the uh, the iconic map that you find in your copy of The Hobbit or Fellowship of the Ring. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they've, they've reinterpreted it or if they just colored it in. <laughs> they've just taken like relevant portions of that map and put them on full art lands. So the swamp is the portion of the map that shows Mordor. Looks like the forest shows Mirkwood Forest and then a bit of the Misty Mountains, but we're calling it green. And they've sort of colored them um they all kind of look green unfortunately mm-hmm. so it has at a glance it's not immediately obvious which color mana this land taps for yeah and that's that's mostly my gripe with them is um the forest is kind of beautiful because it you know is a map portraying a forest mordor you know technically i think is a swamp in both the writing and kind of in this picture so like i guess the green and the black lands look kind of nice but everything else just looks so passing so they're basics you know they're they're not really going to hurt my feelings if if you love them pick them up if you don't you you don't have to that's the best part of magic well you you did promise that you are the youngest old soul so Mm -hmm. it's on brand to be grouchy about these Mm -hmm. someone has to be so uh moving on from the lands um to gandalf the gray three red and a blue for a legendary creature avatar wizard uh, he's a 3-4. Uh, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, choose one that hasn't been chosen. He has four modes. Uh, those four modes are you may tap or untap target permanent. You can have Gandalf the Grey deal three damage to each opponent. You can copy target instant or sorcery spell you control, and you may cast new targets for the copy. And then lastly, uh, you put Gandalf on top of its owner's library. Um, I will have you, Dan, start with what your initial thoughts are. Well, a huge sigh of relief, basically. Um, I mean, this is always the meme or the fear is that this set is going to be another Modern Horizons 3 and is going to, you know, despite whatever Mark Rosewater says, that it's going to be, like, overpowered in the non-rotating formats. And I think when I saw this Gandalf, I said, okay, this is going to be fine. (laughs) This card does not strike me as playable, at least for one-on-one formats and that's totally fine it's a fun card if we're gonna be generous we could imagine having this in play probably in pioneer probably not modern and then it copies a treasure cruise but that's not gonna happen my first reaction i don't know what about you um so two things about this that i think are kind of interesting um the first one to note is uh you do have to select a choice each time so this isn't you know get benefits three times and then, you know, never again. Like once you cast your fourth instant or sorcery spell, you will have to put Gandalf the gray on top if you've already done everything else. So he won't always stay in play. He will ruin some draw steps. So, you know, of course, sometimes you will want to have him dodge a removal spell. But, um, you know, other than that, I, I think that that is a pretty big downside. 
And then the, the most interesting one is definitely the one you pointed out about copying an instant or sorcery, being that the thing that triggers it is just casting an instant or sorcery. So I know previously we've had creatures that will let you copy spells, but it's always kind of awkward, you know, getting to cast that spell and then also have an activation cost ready. This is nice that it does both of those already, but I, I think that you're just paying a little too much for Gandalf. You know, I'm glad you mentioned the putting it back on top thing because I've read this card like five times and it, it just now occurred to me that this these modes are tracked every turn. Mm-hmm. I thought that you would reset every turn so that like within one turn you can only cast three spells, but no, that's that's not the case. It actually, mm-hmm. it just knows which modes you've chosen in previous turns. That's horrible. That's actually really terrible. <laughs> like, yeah, it's not demonic pack. Okay, I have downgraded this to unplayable and casual. Like, what? Why would they do that? I will also say, and I know this doesn't matter for almost anyone else, but I do track every creature type that ever gets added to a creature. And the fact that Gandalf is not a human, he's an avatar, is a pretty big downgrade. Um, because human synergies do exist in magic, and avatar synergies do not. So, you know, if we're trying to find more ways for Gandalf not to be uh, very good... Uh, we can add uh, not relevant creature types to the list. I guess it's worth noting that this is the rare Gandalf. Uh, they did say for each of the main characters, there, there will be several cards for them w- within the set showing different moments in the story. So this is Gandalf the Grey. Gandalf the White would presumably be a white card. And who knows? Maybe there's another Gandalf. So the mythic Gandalf could be more powerful than this. So we're not totally out of the woods yet on that front. Yep. Um, I will say there's a specialty artwork that they did release with this that I believe is the um, bridge scene where he shall not pass uh, is spoken. And I I do think it is beautiful artwork. So for art heads out there, you might want to pick this one up. But for, you know, playing magic card purposes, um, I think very skippable overall. Agreed. But if Gandalf the Great does not interest you, how about the One Ring? I am very interested in the One Ring. Um, four mana artifact. It is legendary. It is indestructible. And it says whenever the One Ring enters the battlefield, if you cast it, you gain protection from everything until your next turn. At the beginning of your upkeep, you lose one life for each burden counter on the One Ring. And then you can tap it to put a burden counter on the One Ring. Then you draw a card for each burden counter on it. Very excited. Okay, so it's a four mana mythic legendary artifact that more or less draws cards. Mm-hmm. As a cost for drawing cards, you will lose some life. I actually did not realize that you don't lose a life until the next turn. You lose the life on your upkeep. Mm-hmm. So you can actually draw right away without having to lose life. But talk to me about that enter the battlefield effect. When the one ring enters, if you cast it, you gain protection from everything until your next turn. What does that mean? Like, does that mean that all your stuff has protection or just just you? So just you. Um, so that means a couple of things. One, you can't be the target of things. So it's like a, a ley line sanctity. Um, but you mm. also can't take damage, uh, which is kind of interesting. Um, you can still pay life. But if you were to have something in play that were um, to make you take damage, uh, you can't take damage. 
So if you were to randomly have something that has a cost of, you know, deal damage to each player or something like that, um, this is going to get around it. Also, this is a pretty interesting, like, thing that you could have in your Karn, the Great Creator package in the sideboard. Um, you know, my opponent's got a scary board in play, and I'm afraid of them, you know, being able to get around in Searing Bridge or anything like that. Uh, the One Ring will make sure that you get another draw step, which is exciting. And then it is also cool that the Burden Counters... Uh, the burn counters only check during your upkeep. So if you're at a point in the game where you don't really need cards, you just wanted it to kind of fog your opponent's combat step for a turn, you don't have to, you know, put yourself in this um, position. Um, but you can also just start, you know, drawing cards as well. And the one ring is also very, very good if you have ways to consistently bounce it. So if you were to have a permanent in play that were to have you bounce an artifact every turn, you could make it to where your opponent could never um, hit you on your turn. So a lot of things that I do think are kind of interesting. Yeah, so bouncing it would be great if you want the fog effect over and over again, but bouncing it is not great if you want to build up a ton of bird encounters. The first time you tap this, you draw one. The second time you tap this, you draw two, and then it taps for three, taps for four. My brain can't quite compute that like no card does that that's an insane amount of card draw as a card advantage engine it's kind of insane like you tap it once and you've got your card back if they don't kill it right away which is not that easy to do because it's indestructible the next turn you're tapping for two cards and then the next turn you're tapping for three cards i don't want to directly equate cards in hand to win at the game but <laughs> that's very very attractive now it is a four mana card so yeah Four mana is the worst part of it. I will say you one of the reasons why four mana cards are kind of hard to play in modern is sometimes you play a four mana thing and then your opponent makes you not alive anymore. Like they just kill you on the next turn. That's going to be something that the one ring does get around. The one ring also plays really well with tap and untap effects. So, you know, Voltaic key, all of that. Um, you know, you could have a turn where you tap the one ring, draw a card, then you untap it, you draw two cards, and then you flicker it or something. I know the initial card that I thought about with this was Master Transmuter. Master Transmuter is a four mana, one, two. Uh, for one blue mana, you get to tap it, you return an artifact you control, um, and then put an artifact from your hand into play. So the one ring would let you both draw towards what you're looking for. Um, it also lets you then... Um, basically play the one ring turn after turn after turn and making it to where you can't die to combat step. Of course, the downside with this is, you know, trying to have a four mana one, two stay alive and uh, in a modern or modern um, size format is a little sketchy, but I, I think there's something there, you know? Other untap effects that are actually played uh, Teferi four Teferi who slows the sunset can untap this hidden strings. If, Maybe you're doing a Lotus Field Twiddle thing. I mean, those can be pointed at the One Ring. Corridor Monitor is an artifact that is a 1-4 that its size does kind of matter in the format. And also, if we're already jumping through the hoops to get cool artifact synergies, you know. So, I don't know what, what it looks like exactly yet. But just historically in Magic, when you put new text on a card that has never been put on something before, that makes it good. 
uh, artifacts have a lot of things going on. So, you know, maybe not perfect yet, but six years from now, it will probably need to get banned for something or whatever. And it's just kind of the way magic works. Oh, God. <laughs> just thinking about this cardboard interaction, like the flavor of that, like they go through this whole saga to melt down the ring and then like, the next day, Karin shows up and is like, hey guys, check this out. I <laughs> just created, a, created this ring. What do you think? <laughs> like, Karin, what the hell are you doing? Put it down. Put it back. Yeah, that's the real origin story. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it directly replaces Ensnaring Bridge. Like, it's, That's an eight mana play, whereas Ensnaring Bridge, you can get off exactly Tron mana. They can still attack the Karn. Karn does not have protection. Only you have protection. It will rely on you winning from your hand and from the cards the the wandering draws. So I'm not like a hundred percent sold that it's the next big thing for specifically that car and wish interaction, but super powerful, no doubt. Yeah. All right. With that out of the way, let's talk modern. We've got a tournament coming up this weekend, the Hunter Burton Memorial Open. I have learned, since I have moved down here, that this is the event of the year. I know you told us about it when you first came on the show a few years back, but for those who are not from Texas or unaware of what this is, what is the HBMO? Absolutely. So Hunter Burton Memorial Open, for people that just want to have a great magic experience, it is exactly a great magic experience. Uh, Everyone that is a part of the um, setup crew is people that I've worked with for many, many years when it comes to local game shops all the way up to um, helping set up for um, uh, like GPs. So some of the best people that you could get to run a Magic tournament, and it is a charity event. So, of course, um, there is a, a large um, cash amount of money for the top eight. It will be a you know high-stakes Magic tournament in that case. But it is also an, a charity event in which every year we raise something like $50,000 for um, a suicide prevention um, uh, nonprofit named after Hunter Burton, who's actually a player on my card game team many, many years ago. Tex is great. I've got his uh, top eight from Pro Tour Austin from many years ago, um, actually uh, with me here in Austin these days. So, yeah, it's really great magic tournament for people that, you know, aren't from the Dallas area and for um, people that, you know, are here and have known about the Texas magic scene. Um, There's going to be a bunch of cool side events giving back to kind of the community. So if you're in the area, uh, if it's anywhere between a, you know, four to eight hour drive, I definitely suggest coming out uh, this next weekend. Um, If this year doesn't work out for you, um, we'll we'll be back here in 53 weeks. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if this show comes out on Tuesday, March 14th, you have a couple days to get yourself to Dallas. <laughs> but if it's Friday and you're hearing this, just get in the car right now. Drop whatever you're doing. Uh, get down to the HBMO. But yeah, I like that the lineup looks great. The main event will be modern, and for those who insist on playing colorless Eldrazi Stompy. There is a pioneer event <laughs> from day two. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, hey, I four rolled my F and M with Eldrazi Stompy last week, but yeah, the deck is not it's not tier one or even tier two, but it's fun. Looking forward to just competing. Looking forward to just enjoying the scene. I mean, it, it sounds like a great event. It's for a great cause, and yeah, I can't wait. 
Yep. Um, just to, you know, bring up some kind of cool side events in Hunter Burton's past. Uh, this year, I know on Friday, there will be a uh, high stakes, not Phyrexia, all will be one, but um, new Phyrexia sealed tournament on Friday night. Main event will be Saturday. There will be RCQs on Sunday. I know there's also a, a high-end um, Chaos Sealed event on Sunday that I uh, probably uh, will be partaking in um, <laughs> if, uh, you know, if things do not go well in the, in the day one. But, uh, you know, something for everyone, to say the least. So, day one, modern, main events. What are you thinking about? What are you playing? Um, well, uh, I guess we'll jump into it. I'm going to play a lot of basic planes. I have been all in uh, for the past probably two weeks on um, Shining Shoal. Now, for people that are either brand new to modern or uh, did not play exactly during Kamigawa um, Limited, uh, I do not blame you for not knowing what Shining Shoal does off the top of your head. It is the white shoal in the cycle. Hopefully we can get this one banned in modern as well, so that Blazing Shoal has a buddy. Um, but I'll, I'll read the card. It's a uh, two white and X. It's an instant arcane spell. Uh, you may remove a white card with converted mana cost X in your hand from the game rather than paying Shining Shoal's mana cost. Uh, then the next X damage that a source of your choice would deal to you or a creature you control this turn is dealt to target creature or player instead. So a lot of words there, but basically this card has two modes. Either white, white X, redirect the next X damage um, from a source of your choice, or remove a white card from your hand, redirect X damage from a source of your choice where X is that spell's converted mana cost. I think a lot of players are not really comfortable with these choosing source spells. We're used to choosing modes. We're used to targeting things, but how do I actually cast a shining shoal? Like what is the target? <laughs> I target the thing that I'm protecting or I target the thing that's dealing the damage. Great question. Um, you actually target neither of them. Um, so great, great question. The only thing that you target <laughs> with shining shoal is whatever you would like the damage to be redirected towards. Um, oh, once gosh. we have selected, once we would the damage to be dealt to, it is on resolution that we select the card or um, effect that we are going to be uh, not preventing, but redirecting. So I'll, I'll, I guess I'll here go into kind of the complexity of, of Shining Shoal. One, the prevention slash redirection in this case does not target. So uh, you don't have to declare what um, source you are preventing or redirecting uh, the damage from. So if your opponent attacks you with a Fury and a Solitude and a Glissa, you don't have to tell them what uh, damage you are redirecting until we have resolved the spell, which is uh, does come up sometimes. Two, uh, all of the parts of the damage of the thing you are re redirecting keep their qualities. So if something has lifelink, that thing still does its damage. The lifelink still triggers. If it has infect, it's going to deal minus one, minus one counters to something or put negative one or, uh, or put infect counters on a player. 
if you redirect it back to the player's face. I think those are the most important ones when it comes to the damage that's getting moved. You also, with the shoal, you do choose which parts get redirected. So a good example of this is maybe you shoal something and you don't have X equal enough to redirect all of the damage. Uh, you will get to decide which parts you are going to redirect. So a pretty normal example is your opponent plays a Fury. You can't have X equal 4, but you can have X equal 3. So you can choose to redirect the damage dealt to your one toughness creature, uh, your second one toughness creature, and then only one of the two damage from your two toughness creature, uh, effectively um, keeping all of your creatures alive. So very, very complex magic card. Um, it does crazy things in the combat step. It is the one of the most complicated cards I've ever um, attempted to resolve. So <laughs> are there any questions you have, Dan? Um, I know you've seen me cast this card a couple of times. Well, let me just try to recap what I think I just heard you say. As far as choosing targets and actually performing the action of casting the spell, you're saying just read it very, very carefully. Mm -hmm. The thing that you target is the thing that is going to receive the damage. Correct. Now, you're also saying that any special properties that the damage had continue to apply because nothing was actually prevented. It was just pointed somewhere else. So that lifelink damage still granted life. That infect damage is still infected damage. I think you mentioned that Ragavan damage is, is still a Ragavan damage. It will still exile a card. Uh, that is correct. Um, so, you know, this is an instance that has come up a couple times. Uh, if someone attacks you with a Ragavan, um, let's say you have a, you know, Esper Sentinel in play and you're just interested in blocking with it, do not try to get tricky with it and Shining Shoal uh, redirect the damage from the Ragavan to keep your Esper Sentinel alive and get a couple of extra points on your opponent. You have redirected the Ragavan damage. The Ragavan has still done combat damage to a player, even though it is its own controller. So the Ragavan will trigger, they will get a treasure <laughs> token, and they're not taking a card off of your silly mono white decks library, they're taking a card off of the Ragavan player's library because it hit that player. So um, my God. don't don't feed the monkey. Don't do that. Learn from my mistakes. I've done it twice. So the safe play is to cast the shoal but point it back at the Ragavan itself. Yes. You can you can have the monkey do self-harm. Okay. All right. Well, I'm sure that there's going to be more stuff like this that comes up as you describe <laughs> your experiences, but I think I've basically grasped how the card works. Now, the other big question is like, this card has been around forever. It's almost as old as you are. <laughs> but, um, it's from Betrayers of Kamigawa. Why is it suddenly seeing play? Why now? What changed? Uh, that's a great question. One, there are more cards in modern that have high CMCs than have ever existed in the format, partially because uh, there are many cards in Modern that we are, I'm not going to say not interested in casting, but able to not cast. So I, I think a really good example of this is the um, Elementals from uh, Modern Horizons 2. Uh, Solitude is a 5-mana white card in this deck, so you know having a 5-mana white card uh, that you can throw to your shoal uh, and also be happy with just having redundant copies of it is just a thing that could happen. 
in just the way that magic is played these days. Um, that traditionally would not be true. You know, the, the long-term problem with Shoal has always been it's a cool kind of unique effect in your low-to-the-ground, you know, white weenie deck, but your low-to-the-ground white weenie deck is playing a lot of one and two CMC white cards, and Shining Shoal redirects two damage does not do a whole lot against Lightning Bolt and it's targeting 2-1 Savannah Lines, you know? So that has been classically the problem with Shining Shoal. Having more cards that are good to pitch to it is fantastic. And then if anyone has not played Modern recently, um, it is a red format. It is it is a world ruled by a 1-mana 2-1, uh, by an upgraded Lightning Bolt and Fury. So there are plenty of things that say deal damage, that uh, you are kind of excited about redirecting. The other nice part of Shoal is, unlike many pitch cards, it very easily does two for one. Or in this case, two for two, I should say. If you've ever played Force of Will, it's nice that you can counter your opponent's spell, but it is card disadvantage at the end of the day. Shining Shoal, um, if your opponent goes turn one Ragavan, you go turn one one-drop creature, and they try to bolt your guy so that they can get their Ragavan through. Redirecting their bolt to kill their Ragavan um, is a giant tempo swing, and you're uh, card neutral. So that's kind of why I I think this card has made such a big resurgence recently. So they spent their full turn on Ragavan and their removal spell to try to clear the path. For no mana, you went two for two and just wiped away all their progress. That's the Ragavan scenario, but you mentioned Unholy Heat, right? Mm-hmm. We tend to think of that as just a Terminate. It's not just a Terminate, it's six damage. <laughs> six damage that could be pointed somewhere else, and that's suddenly a lot of damage to be going back at somebody's face, or... Well, I don't know, you have to tell me where you point the Shining Shoal. Fury, another card that, you know, people like to evoke Furies. They're like, it's worth it, you know. Because it, it is worth it. Except when it gets Shining Shoals, then they're taken for... And you went two for two again. Yeah. Fury is a great example, you know, because Fury is very similar to Shining Shoal. It's a more proactive instead of reactive. But, you know, kind of the, the theory with Fury was always, you know, I'm willing to discard the Fury and this other red card to kill your two creatures in play, you know, that you've spent time developing and getting into play. Shining Shoal lets you, you know, basically meet them where, where they're at. You know, you can, um, when they evoke out their fury, you can redirect that damage to actually kill one of their creatures. So instead of them trading two for two, um, now they're trading, you know, two for three and you're staying on the board. So Shining Shoal, really, really good at protecting your, your creatures, um, especially in, you know, early game situations where you just don't have a whole lot of extra mana hanging out. So would it be fair to say, the more red your opponent's deck is, the, the better Shining Shoal is going to do. Yeah. doesn't have to be red, but regular combat damage from any creature is, is still a fair game. Mm-hmm. But getting a red deck is <laughs> the best case scenario here. Yeah. Redirecting spells and um, you know things people are spending mana on is the, the best case scenario. You, know, you, you can interact with combat, but um, I would much rather basically be redirecting a spell than, you know, just preventing some damage in combat. So the saga of Shining Shoal, in the last month at least, begins with a player, MTGO player named Hank the Obese. 
we'd mentioned, I think a couple of weeks ago that this player had just suddenly burst onto the scene with a peculiar shining shoal humans deck. And they've just been crushing challenges. They've got like four challenge top eights mm-hmm. and another couple of top 32s in the last four weeks alone. The basic way that it works is you, you need something to pitch to the shining shoal and Hank the Obese is using two cards primarily. They're using Emeria's Call. This is a MDFC land, which this deck has no interest in really casting. There's no ramp or any tricky thing like that. You're just playing it as land or you're pitching it. That gives you a Shining Shoal X equals seven. That's not quite enough. So Hank is also playing Chancellor of the Annex, another card with seven CMC that if it's in your hand at the beginning of the game, you can reveal it and that taxes their first effect by one. So you have eight cards that cost seven that are white. You also have four solitudes and four shining shoals. That's the pitch package as it was initially conceived. And from there is kind of just shoving that into a deck. I think the obese chose kind of a, a little strange humans shell, but uh, Lawson, you've been kind of iterating on this a lot and I'm very curious to see where you've arrived and what you've tried. Yeah. I mean, I'll start with talking about the, the mono-white um, list from Hank. I do like a lot of the things that he's got going on. One thing that I will say is um, the pitch package is fantastic. Having four Solitudes and four um, Shining Shoal makes you pretty excited about having some kind of clunky cards in your deck. I will say, I think that Chancellor of the Annex, one of the main reasons why it is good is um, a limitation of Magic the Gathering Online. <laughs> Magic the Gathering Online, from the most recent update, if a Chancellor of the um, Annex gets revealed, there's not a pop-up window that's like, hey, here's a Chancellor of the Annex, just keep this in mind. Uh, it just has a little blurb at the bottom for like two seconds that says a Chancellor was revealed. And then if you go to the Revealed Cards tab, you can also see that there is a Chancellor that was revealed. But if you were, let's say, you know, thinking about whether or not you should keep your mulligan in your hand actively and did not notice that a Chancellor was revealed, okay, I guess I'll keep this hand, Ragavan, go. And then there's going to be a trigger and your Ragavan gets countered and it is it is a nightmare. So um, <laughs> I will say all of my lists are off of Chancellor. My experience was uh, game one, I randomly would get people with it. But even when you have it in your opening hand, unless you are exactly on the play, have a turn one thing to do, and your opponent doesn't have Mishra's Bobble, you know, then then you're getting there. But there's a lot of steps that had to you know go through to get there. So I am off of Chancellor of the Annex at this point. I do like these mono-white humans list. The card quality is a little low, but um, they're very, very focused on just trying to end the game as quickly as possible and using the power of Shining Shoal to let them have some protection for early game Champion the Parish and Thalia's Lieutenants and then have Adeline, um, you know, really bash it and uh, end some games. Adeline is not a card that I would typically think of as like a modern humans card. But when you dig into that, you realize that our idea of what humans is, is like way out of date. Mm-hmm. Like humans for a long time meant noble hierarchs, ancient ziggurats, <laughs> either vials, mantis riders and such. 
this is none of those cards, right? It still has Champion of the Parish, still has Thalia and her Lieutenant. But beyond that, the creature sweep gets a little strange, right? Like you need more one drops. Esper Sentinel is thankfully a human, so you can play that, but Dauntless Bodyguard, four copies. Um, then Luminarch Aspirant. I mean, it's it's a good card. More of a pioneer card, I think. And then four Adeline is just your big hitter. Um, so what I will say about the, the white humans pile, four Champion of the Parish and four Esper Sentinel, those are solid. So that's a really, really exciting kind of eight one drops to have in the deck. Um, if you want to, you know, think back to old humans list, uh, old humans list always had four Aether Vials, four uh, Noble Hierarchs, and four Champion of the Parish. So you, you do kind of want to stick towards that kind of rule of 12s um, when it comes to having one drops. Mm-hmm. the next best thing is Dauntless Bodyguard, and it's not very good. And it's just the kind of the, the price of business. Um, you could play Hopeful Initiate. It's hopeful, um, let's say. It's just there, there's not a whole lot of other good one-drops that you can really look at that are humans and check all of the boxes. Um, you could try doing some, like, you know... Um, Kytheon is, I think, the name of the flip planeswalker, but like you can't play four of it, so maybe you play like two of it and like two Dauntless Bodyguard, but like we're we're, we're very much splitting hairs at this point. Luminarch Aspirant, like not the most exciting two drop in the world. It does pump your Esper Sentinel, so it it does let you kind of draw an extra card, technically. I will say Adeline is incredible in this deck. I know Adeline looks a little weird because it very much feels like a, you know, standard and pioneer card. This is 2023 Magic's version of Mantis Rider. It kind of has haste because that 1-1 does come into play and is attacking. And it very quickly is a 5-4 with Vigilance. And because the token it makes is a human, that token will trigger the champion to perish. So it is very normal to have, you know, turn one champion of the parish, turn two, Thalia's lieutenant, turn three, Adeline. Adeline coming to play, puts a counter on each of them. Then when you attack, you get another token, puts another counter on each of them. So it it is a real clock. This deck does a very good job of being proactive and really ending games, so. Yeah, I mean, that, that sequence sounds nuts. Pioneer players know very well how scary Adeline can be that's without Champion of the Parish. That's just with the, the Thalia's Lieutenant. I do want to ask you, actually, in, in Pioneer, the card Recruitment Officer is, is sometimes very good. Sometimes it's just a 2-1 that does nothing. But sometimes Recruitment Officer just wins the game. Like, if the board stalls out. Do you know this card? It's yeah. from Brothers War. Let's see you pick up a soldier. Uh, I think so. It's three and a white activation to look at your top three cards and... Try and remember what the condition uh, is. It is it's uh get a soldier that costs uh, three or less from um there. I have actually played it in modern. It's I mean it's fine. It's like all of the other, you know, one mana two ones. Um I will well, say it's any creature. It's not it's not just a soldier. Oh, it's not it just gets soldier? any creature. Okay. I, I did play it because I did have a blue white version of the deck that was very soldier heavy. And, you know, other soldiers in the deck. Esper Sentinel is a soldier. Champion of the Parish is Luminarch Aspirant. So there's, I mean, it's there. Like, it's not very often that you are spending uh, four mana to try to find a, you know, cheap creature. But Yeah, my idea was just that 
because we're, we're playing these pitch spells, you know, we don't have to cast the thing we find, you know, maybe it just draws you a white card and then you immediately pitch it to your solitude or something. But maybe that's, it's just too small. I don't know. Maybe. No, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely down to try stuff. Um, cause there definitely is room to be explored. My first variation with this kind of traditional white list was, I did go a little bit more into that kind of traditional um, human space that you were talking about. For me, the the card that says, um, you know, humans in modern is Meddling Mage. Mm. Meddling Mage is a magic card that is wildly just all right in so many matchups and game breaking in matchups where you are 0% without it. Meddling Mage is the card that, you know, has given humans deck kind of the ability forever to always have an opportunity to have game and matchups, because at the end of the day, um, if your opponent keeps a hand that is reliant on something and you get to turn off two or three cards in their hand randomly, that's a big deal. So I did 5-0 with a blue-white humans list. There's nothing super interesting outside of Meddling Mage going on. It is a powerful card in, in modern still, um, and then it is also backed up by the fact that Shining Shoal, when you play cards that tax your opponent, having something that can prevent them for free um, is a huge, huge benefit. So in the traditional whitelist that Hank the Obese was playing, Shining Shoal was basically just a redirect your burn spell so that I can even end this game a turn quicker. And this Azorius Humans deck it very much is, you know, you can play the Meddling Mage name Lightning Bolt against uh, the red-blue Ragavan Murktide list. And so you've turned off all of their Lightning Bolts, and then you are holding up a Shining Shoal, and you can now prevent their uh, Unholy Heat. So you can basically catch both sides. So now you've turned off all of their removal spells effectively in their decks, so... This is a list that I think there is definitely a lot more room to test in it. I will say I wanted to stay super, super on theme when it comes to having enough white cards to pitch. So all of the blue cards I've added in are Meddling Mage and Lavinia to the main deck, um, which are both also white cards. So I do think that you do need a um, pretty high density when you're going to play both Solitude and um, Shoal, but I don't exactly know where that's going to fall, um, you know, once we've done more testing. So you haven't strayed from the every card is white. Mm -hmm. Just added some lands that can produce blue. And it's, it's a minor blue splash. If you don't have the blue source, you just pitch the meddling mage to a solitude. I'm seeing a few other cards here. So this is a published list. You five up with this looks like March 3rd. Mm -hmm. You've got the two hopeful initiates you were trying there. Two Lavinia main deck is very interesting. I mean, this card just completely shuts down Leyland Binding. Probably does a lot of other stuff. I mean, it stops Cascade. It's good against Tron. It's a surprisingly good effect. I've found myself wishing for Lavinia's effect in other colors many times. Mm -hmm. It's also good um, against the Elementals. The scariest card in the modern format for these decks that are playing. Uh, this list has 33 creatures in it. Every single one of them can be murdered by a fury and then some. So having having some Lavinias in your deck where you can just always turn off furies, it was you know pretty normal 
to have a Lavinia in play and then play a meddling mage and also name Fury just so that, you know, your opponent couldn't weasel their way out by, you know, uh, finding a way to get rid of the Lavinia and then Fury and then deal with everything. Like, that card is so, so powerful that even having um, multiple ways of interacting with it, you you do need to be cautious of it. So, Lavinia has, has more text on it every time I look at it. So, super exciting card. You've cut the Chancellor of the Annex here. I see you went for... Something called Undo Inversion, <laughs> you described that. And you've also changed the three slots. You've gone up to not just four Adeline, you're also playing three Anointed Peacekeeper. Um, so Peacekeeper is it's very similar to Meddling Mage. It lets us get some information before having to make any choices, which is a nice benefit. It also lets us kind of mess with uh, activated abilities kind of important against Yawgmoth. Not a whole lot to say about the Peacekeeper. It, it is nice that it's a 3-mana three 3-3 three, three that lets you kind of try to mess with your opponent some more. Something to know about decks that do taxing effects is all taxing effects are not linear. or Yeah, they're not linear, they're exponential. So uh, what I mean by that is if you have just Athalia's um, Guardian of Thraben in play, you know, you're going to make some parts of your opponent's game plan a little bit harder. But if you have a, a Thalia Garden of Thrabian in play and a Meddling Mage naming something and an Anointed Peacekeeper naming something else, you, you make it very, very difficult for them to really be able to claw back into a game. All the while, you know, each of these things have two and three power respectively, so you can slowly just chip away at them for two or three turns to close a game out. So this swap from Chancellor to Ondu Inversion, is that because of the Anointed Peacekeepers? Like you're just playing a higher curve? So Ondu Inversion is a modal double-faced land. It comes into play tap, so it's not as clean as a Mario's Call. <laughs> the backside, or I guess it's the front side actually, is an eight-mana Wrath of God. But we're not doing that. <laughs> we're playing as a tap land, or we're pitching it for Shining Shoal X equals eight. Yeah, I mean... Largely, it is just another thing that we're only ever pitching. I did cast it one time, um, and that was hilarious. It did blow up a couple of Leylines bindings that were in play, and uh, we won that game. Um, but uh, largely, it's just the fact that Chancellor was super bad in games that I drew it, and it wasn't even that exciting in games that it was in my opener. So I was interested in seeing... Um, can we just play a card that is good for only pitching? And technically, you can play it as a tapped land um, if you have a you know pretty sorry hand. But uh, it was fine. Nothing more than fine, though. Okay. 5-0 with the humans with a light splash for meddling mage. Where did you go next? So the next thing we jumped to was kind of a more traditional... Stoneblade Taxes deck. For people that have played Legacy before, everyone's favorite magic card is Stoneforge Mystic. Um, you know, everyone is very excited about feeling smart about knowing, uh, you know, which equipment to grab. I will say, I would like to thank the good folks at Wizards for making all of our lives a lot easier. Just grab Culture Complete. Just, just grab the card that is indestructible. <laughs> and kills people immediately. It is a really big upgrade from 
uh, Batter Skull. It really, really does end games super quickly. But this list is kind of just leaning on the power of using Shining Shoal as a way to protect your Stoneforge Mystic so that you can very, very regularly just play Stoneforge on two, and even if your opponent has the removal for it, still get to activate it and put the big scary cauldron play and kill your opponent. So, so many games with this deck. You are playing a turn two uh, Stoneforge, and your opponent feels like they have the answer. They go and bolt the Stoneforge, and you just redirect it, kill the Ragavan. Now they don't have their proactive thing. You have protected your Stoneforge Mystic, and they don't have an opportunity to get back into the game. So this list, there is definitely a lot to work on. The the other notable things to kind of see, um, we are playing two main deck Burnington Forge Tender. Modern is the, the red format right now. I found that Burnington Forge Tender is generically a better protection creature at one mana than Giver of Runes, because if I play my Forge Tender and I say go, my opponent can just nothing. They can't they can't make any game actions yet. Um, whereas if I play a Giver of Runes, they can automatically bolt the Giver, and then once I play my Stone Forge, they don't need two spells being held up at once. Um, so it just ended up being a lot lot cleaner for trying to battle through those. And then played a couple of like Sarah's Paragons and Archon of Amirias just to be grindy. But overall, um, really, really just leaning on the power of Stoneforge Mystic and Shoal um, was kind of where I went with this pile. I actually came up with this list from sitting down with you, Dan, when we were talking about um, the power of Colorless Eldrazi and how good Ghost Quarter can be in the format. This was just, I want to play eight Ghost Quarter effects in my modern deck and see how good that is. We automatically 5-0'd with this, and then we ran it back in another league right after that and 5-0'd as well with that one. So I uh, started off with a, a pretty, pretty clean 10-0 streak with this deck. So definitely, if you're looking for something new to try in modern, this is a very, very powerful um, approach. I'm biased, obviously, because of the stompy angle, the Eldrazi angle, but what stood out to me the most from watching some of your matches in that 10-0 run, you're playing Leon and Arbiter, and I don't know if we mentioned this, but there is a Ponza aspect, a definite land destruction component to the deck. Now, depending on who you ask, that's assumed when you say taxes, like Stoneforge taxes, of course it plays Leon and Arbiter. You're playing Leon and Arbiter, four Ghost Quarters, and four Field of Ruin. How do you get the mana to do all this stuff? Well, you're playing for Ether Vial as well. This is your only non-white card in the main deck besides the, the Stoneforge package of one sword and one cauldra. When the vial is going, tell me if you agree with this, I was very impressed by the vial. It allows you to just, you know, have your mana free for activating Field of Ruins, for example, and it's a sneaky card. It's a very sneaky card with Leon and Arbiter because you tap and activate the vial, you have a meaningful pause. Don't give it away. <laughs> you don't have to say what you're putting in until it's resolved. And if they have not cracked the fetch in response, you know, there, there is suddenly an Arbiter in play that wasn't there before. And that's another creature, yet another creature like Stoneforge, like Esper Sentinel to some degree, that could just completely wreck the opponent's day. And like, sure, their Unholy Heat would normally get them out of that situation, but there's that Shining Shoal again, or there's the Burned in Forest Tender <laughs> in this case. No, um... 
I will say, Vile has been the card in this list that I am the most aggressive about trying to find a alternative for. Mostly because uh, kind of the, the way that this deck is designed, uh, you have a lot of bad top decks. That is just kind of the, the way that it um, comes out when you are playing a card that is so impactful when it comes to, um, you know, turn one, two, and three, being able to, you know, stay on the board in the form of Shining Shoal. Uh, Shoal is much better when it's in your opener and you know, okay, I'm going to play my two drop and I'm going to protect it. You know, I'm going to have the silly owner in our rear stay in play. I'm going to get to activate these field improvements. I'm going to get to activate this ghost quarter. Like that is a really, really powerful thing to know that you're going to get to do a shining shoal. And that's why I've loved playing these decks so much, but it is not good to draw off the top most of the time. You know, it's just, Kind of the way it is. It takes some setup. It, if you need to both be interacting with something your opponent's doing, be protecting something that is in play, and also have something to pitch. Like that is a lot of stuff to line up well in the middle of a game. It's very easy for that to happen at the very beginning. You know, I know at one point I was streaming some of the matches in the um, the Faithless Brewing Discord. And my opponent played a turn one red fetch land, and I just automatically put them on the creative, um, uh, indomitable creativity list. And I, I was explaining to you and some of the guys that were watching at the time that, you know, we're going to play turn one Esper Sentinel. They're going to play Ren and Six. They're going to try to minus one to kill our Esper Sentinel. Uh, they'll have to give us that card from playing the Ren and Six on turn two, but that's something they're okay with because they're going to get so much value overall. But we're going to be able to shoal, redirect that one damage back to the Ren and Six, and then Esper Sentinel is going to get some some Karmic Justice and finish off the Ren. And, you know, after I explained how this was going to work out, you know, you very, very adaptly went, what if they don't play the Ren and Six? They immediately played the Ren and Six. We got them. And, uh, (laughs) I mean, that's the way that, you know, magic works these days. You know, the proactive plays early game, if someone's not playing a turn one Ragavan, they're probably a deck that doesn't have, you know, one-drop creatures. You know, if they're not playing a turn one Ragavan or DRC, that's not the kind of red deck they are. If they have red fetch lands, that means their creativity, they probably have a burn spell or a run six. Like, I just, we, we know that they're going to have something. And so the Shoal does not um, miss out on targets early game, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, you, you read that situation like, very fluently, we can say. But also just goes to show, like, similar to someone just aggressively pitching to Fury, they're going to give you that card for the Esper Sentinel because it's so swingy, whether it's in play or not. You know, from their calculation, of course it's worth it. Who cares if you, if you draw a card? I'm going to kill your Esper Sentinel and have a Venom 6 left over. And Shoal just totally flips that script. Yeah, so this, this kind of more traditional white taxes list, I think there is more exploring to do with it. I have put it down for now because I want to really limit test. I don't. Um, I still don't know the 75. I'm going to be playing for the Hunter Burton Memorial Open. If I can't figure out something that is super, super spicy with Shoal, um, I will probably land on one of these. So if you are looking for something that is um, good, new, and different, um, this is definitely something that I could see people landing on. One final Shoal list, um, and I don't know if you got to look at this one very much, it is a little bit different. Um, I actually took some um, inspiration from Aspiring Spike, played a Shining Shoal list a couple days ago. And this deck is playing 
the domain mana base so that you can play Ley Lines Binding. Gives you some more good interaction, gives you another good um, expensive white card for your shoal. It also lets you play Ragavan, which I don't know if you need me to read that magic card, but it is very, very good. And uh, having Shining Shoal to defend it is really, really good. So you get to have your monkey hit people more often than most people. And by not just being a boring mono-white deck, having you know lands that tap for other colors, your sideboard is way, way better now. One of the problems I've had with these decks is a lot of your sideboard is just kind of mediocre. You know, you, you just don't have the, the perfect card selection to deal with all of the things that Modern is asking you to deal with. So I do think there might be something here with uh, a heavy white main deck to do the shoal package and solitude tricks, and then having you know some good sideboard cards for after game one to really kind of break your opponent's back. But um, I have not quite figured out exactly what all of those are quite yet. So this list, you're calling it shoal with money. The theme is we're just gradually trying to cut the bad cards. So it started with you cutting the white chancellor for an eight mana tap land. And now we're saying, okay, that land's not that special either. Let's just cut that for a six mana instant speed oblivion ring. That is extremely, extremely good. Everyone knows that. Not super thrilled about the idea of pitching a leyline binding to a shining shoal, but I mean, when it happens, you know, all these scenarios we describe where the shining shoal just is such, it's such a swingy play that it's worth it. It almost doesn't matter what the card is that you pitched. Unlike most Leyline Binding decks, this deck perhaps is not going to get Domain that early. You don't have to get it until turn three or four even. Like, you're not in a rush to find that one Triome. Or there's two Triomes, I see. And the one Sacred Foundry. Yeah, so it's not a... This list is definitely not a great Domain deck. I was thinking about playing a version where you could have a um, Sultai Triome in the deck, even though it doesn't tap for any white sources. So it's basically a common to tapped colorless land, which is maybe the grossest thing I could ever explain. But <laughs> theoretically, um, since all of the fetches could hit it and all of the fetches could also hit Sacred Foundry, that would allow you to play a deck that gets to go turn one Ragvan, turn two Leylines Binding for cheap. I haven't found that that really matters. You know, a lot of the time, if you need to, um, one, you've got uh, Prismatic Endings in this list. Uh, you can also just play like Stoneforge Mystic. You know, like your monkey doesn't always have to get through on turn one. Uh, by playing Ragavan and Stoneforge Mystic in your deck, even when you don't draw uh, Shining Shoal, Sometimes your opponent just doesn't have two removal spells, you know? Um, you know, that, that is something that is kind of interesting about playing a bunch of cards that have to get answered. If you don't kill my Ragavan on turn one, I'm going to get a treasure token. So they're probably going to kill your Ragavan. Cool, I have this Stoneforge Mystic. Do you have an answer for this? F no, this game might get really difficult very quickly. So, still a lot of work to do on this one. I did two leaks with it yesterday and one today. Um, I 4 won both of the leagues yesterday, and I 3 2 the one today. So 11 and 4 feels good. Sadly, not on the, the trophy list with it yet, but definitely a lot of lot of work to do still. Oh, I will say the other cool part about this list is um, it is playing four Ranger Captain Vios, 
And Ranger Captain Abios is a card that I have loved for a long, long time. Three mana, three, three, that lets you um, kind of have a little tutor package. Getting to have one Forge Tender in the deck is nice. Um, getting to, you know, grab Ragavan late game. Ragavan is the best one drop to ever play on turn one ever printed in Magic. And somehow it is also one of the best creatures to play on turn four or five because of that dash. So it is like a very, very interesting um, creature to have access to in the late game as well. Yeah, I see you have the, the Miser's copy of Fervent Champion so that if you have a sword of fire and ice just sitting around, you can range your captain, grab the Fervent Champion, and immediately it's in there equipped, ready to attack. Yeah, the Ranger Captains, they look really good. At a minimum, you know, they add to the board presence at a decent rates, and they put another white card in your hand. You can go down to one Burnt and Forest Hunter main deck, as I see you have here. Just the one. It's all you need. Somehow this, this version has lost its charm, if I can say so. Like, I understand that the card quality has increased. It's become more expensive. It's got more modern staples in it, more generically good stuff. But there's something about just cheesing in with the and Arbiter that I really like. So I don't know. I don't want to push you one way or the other. Mm. But you did get two five O's with the and Arbiter. <laughs> Come to Cat Jesus. All are welcome. Oh, I will say something that I am interested in testing a little bit that I did not post a list here is there's a kind of cool interaction with um, uh, Leon and Arbiter. Um, do, do you know how Leon and Arbiter works with Ephemerate? No, I don't. Just to not put you on the spot. Um, when you pay the special activation for Leon and Arbiter, mm-hmm. it doesn't use the stack, but it also doesn't track for uh, new instances of Leon and Arbiter. So let's say that I have a Leon and Arbiter in play, and, and you, Cave Dan, would like to activate your fetch land, you have to, in a paper game of magic, go, I'm going to spend two mana, and I'm going to cancel the effect of Leon and Arbiter, and I'm now going to fetch. And now I get priority. If I would like to, I can now cast an Ephemerate, flicker the Leon and Arbiter, and your fetch land is on the stack, and you have not paid your taxes. So you can just snipe to get rid of people's lands, and then in addition to this, uh, you're also a Solitude deck and a Stoneforge deck. So, you know, you have other creatures that are kind of interested in coming into play. So there, there is some interest in exploring uh, all of the things that come to being very dirty with uh, Ephemerate. Shining Shoal has caused me to spend a lot of time paging through Scryfall, just looking at every white card in Modern and finding all these different packages seeing how you combine them in interesting ways i mean i'm curious to see where you end up i'm also curious if there's stuff that you've been tempted by like squadron hawk force of virtue things like this these are bad cards but why not have everything pushed to everything yeah i did try a force of virtue deck earlier this week i will say one cute thing about force of virtue is it is way better since the printing of esper sentinel Yes, yes. A lot of the time, people's kind of generic play to Esper Sentinel is, you know, I won't bolt it this turn, but next turn I will pay my one extra mana and I'll get rid of it and it's not a big deal. Being able to Leyline's Binding, or not Leyline's Binding, uh, Force of Virtue, sorry, at instant speed, now it has two power, now it costs one more, so 
you can randomly make people not be able to pay for it, kind of getting back the card disadvantage of Force of Virtue. It just turns out that zero mana creatures you control get plus one, plus one. Not very good in modern. Um, just no, not. Yeah. Oh, that, that hurts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. If, if Glorious Anthem costs zero mana, I would register zero of them. Sorry. It's a visual media. I won't, I won't do hand signals, but um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's very awkward. All right. I'm going to play four Force of Virtue and four Leyland Binding, and then I'm going to play Enigmatic Incarnation, and I'm going to have a Traxa on seven, which is a white card to pitch. So I can sack my binding to it. I'm going to have some random five that has white in it so that I can sack my Force of Virtue to get, uh, help me out here, Niv-Mizzet or something, <laughs> Tolson here. I mean, we can, <sighs> we can play Endless Horizons, and that's a, that's a white enchantment. Take all the planes out of our deck, have, you know, a couple of Charbelcher, or just one Charbelcher on the board <laughs> so we can get it with our Karn the Great Creator. Um, we can also get our the one ring so that we don't die. We can... We can talk craziness, um, but I I just don't think that uh, that force of virtue is really really realistic and modern. Sadly, I I understand. I wish, I wish I've tried. All right. Well, uh, very excited to see where you land, and please do keep us posted on that. Any final thoughts on the future of Shining Shoal or the future of this archetype? Um. Yeah. There's a lot to explore with it. Like with many things in, in Magic, it is a, it's a package, you know? I, I think it's more of a package than a deck. I think that the, the package right now is, and I'm just going to include the cards that don't take up Lancelot, so Marius Call is not going to be in this list, but I, I really think the package is for Shining Shoal, for Solitude, for Stoneforge Mystic, Cauldra Complete, Sword of Fire and Ice, probably one other equipment as well, so... When you think about it as a group of cards that is only 15 cards deep and then just, you know, comes with the assumption that you're pretty heavy on white, you can throw this package into basically any heavy white deck. But you want your Shining Shoals to be in a deck that is going to play Solitude already. You want it to be protecting something that really matters, like Stoneforge Mystic. So... Uh, if you can, if you can think of cool things to do with white cards that include uh, some of those fifteen cards listed, uh, you should really, really think about Shining Shoal because it is an incredibly powerful effect, and it can randomly win you games. I know I sent you a picture that was somebody get a body bag that was uh, I killed an opponent on turn two, where the only game action I had taken was a turn one Cavernous Soul because he was Infect and tried to attack me for 10, and I had two Shining Shoals, and I redirected 10 Infect to his face. So, not to say that <laughs> will always happen, but um, th- there are definitely matchups that you can, you know, win out of nowhere when you redirect, you know, six points of damage from a Searing Blaze back to your burn opponent, and because they've had an idol on in play, they've had to ping themselves too many times, and now they can't cast any more magic cards. Like, I've had, I've had that happen multiple times this week, so... Definitely, definitely a lot of space to kind of see where it moves from. All right. So to close things out, just in case you are not here for Shiny Shoal contents, we do like to do a little segment called Picks of the Week, in which we each pick one deck, anything we found interesting, anything that looked cool, and just give a quick shout out to that deck. So 
we've each chosen one list, and it looks like we both had Atraxa on the brain, Lawson. I love I love white cards that cost seven. I don't know what you want from me. <laughs> pitches to shoal. It pitches to shoal. <laughs> in Pioneer, during our Atraxa week, uh, I had tried an all-in version that was just trying to neoform Atraxa with Delve creatures. So we had Tasker, I was playing Saltai Scavenger, and the Hooting Mandrills. All this stuff. That's basically all the deck did, and the idea was, is that good enough? Now, I maintain that you have to play Thalsies and Push. You have to play Thalsies and Push, because if Atraxa does not draw interaction, then what was the point? The deck didn't feel that good to me. Like, I went 4-1, and one, but it felt bad, and I had, like, some serious problems with it. Like, Neoform was the only thing that made it work, and you can only play four copies. I was playing Arcane Proxy to have a little bit of extra access to that effect, so that if I found... Uh, you know, if I happened to mill my Neoform with Grissy Salvage or Otherworldly Gaze, that I could just Arcane Proxy it back. And that was like, okay. It was nice that Atraxa could find an extra card type when Atraxa did come into play. But I still had some problems with, you know, I would do my Atraxa Neoform line and then my opponent would just kill me with a combo or something like that. Or they would kill the Atraxa and then the game would continue and, you know, eventually I would run out of Atraxas or I'd draw them and not be able to cast them because there was only Gigantha Companion as my only access to the correct mana. Didn't really touch it since then, but some people have been obsessed with this deck. Turns out that there is a good build. A Magic Online player, Tedaboy MTG, got second place in the Showcase Challenge this weekend. They went 10-2, and two, and prior to that, they had just an insane run of the leagues. They went 23-2 and two over five leagues, Ooh. getting four trophies in a row, all with the same build. It's the same basic concept, neoforming a Delve creature into a Traxa with Thought Season Push as your backup, but they've, they've fixed some of the problems and I think made some noticeable improvements. What are those improvements? Well, first of all, founding the third path. They've cut the arcane proxies and played founding the third path instead. Kind of a snapcaster effect. It does recast Neoform, but more importantly, it, it digs you toward Neoform, right? It mills for it, which sets up all your delve stuff. It has read ahead, so if you just need it to be an immediate Neoform, it, it costs four, so it's slightly more expensive than arcane proxy when you do that, but the overall utility, I think, is really worth it. And the second big improvement is Stubborn Denial. Stubborn Denial, you know, is a cheeky one-mana four-spike some of the time, but when Atraxa is in play, you know, we talked about uh, in, in Modern, you can play Not of This World with Atraxa. This is Pioneer's answer to Not of This World, and it's just like a generically good card. If you Neoform into Atraxa and have a blue left over, you're very likely to hit a Stubborn Denial. You see 10 cards, and it's very hard for them to win the game from that position. So just those small improvements, I think, uh, went a long way. They've also added Mana Confluence, which I, I don't know how often this happens, but Mana Confluence, in theory, gives you access to a hard cast Atraxa later in the game. They're not playing Grizzly Salvage, they're playing Strategic Planning instead. And uh, they've cut the Otherworldly Gaze, which that hurts a little bit. I think maybe you should still play the Gaze. <laughs> but but Tideboy is doing fine with this build, and apparently it's all the rage right now in Pioneer. Yeah, founding the third path is a sick one to find. Really, really cool that does it let you cast um, if you just play it on turn two, you can just start with step one and just cast like a strategic planning from your hand so it like doesn't even mess with mm -hmm. your curve. That's really like clean. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It might be hard to time it. Like you might end up wasting one of the chapters, but you can always just recast the thought seeds off chapter three. It's 
not limited to just getting neoform. Of course, it's sort of a snapcaster effect. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's really clean that it lets you... Because, I mean, one of the things that is um, that I've seen that is a little awkward with these lists is sometimes you just don't have the neoform, and that is an awkward situation to be at. And then you're just a Hooting Mandrills Tasker deck. But this this deck seems like a really, really good Hooting Mandrills and Tasker deck. Because if you can go turn two, founding the third path and strategic planning, not only are you turn three playing this, you know, one of these six drop creatures, but you're playing one of these six drop creatures with only one mana necessary. And you're also, um, you know, you've developed uh, a strategy for having card selection. So you'll get to have Hooting Mandrill in play and have Stubborn Denial. So um, you can just start the beatdown of the monkeys um, and have, like, decent interaction. Having, you know, four uh, removal spells, four discard spells, three counter spells, you know, uh, does, does let you basically fight every deck um, in some way. Yeah, I was playing Sultai Scavenger, which is 3-3 Flying Bird, and it was actually pretty good, but Stubborn Denial is just, it's so good that I think it's worth it to just say, all right, back on the monkeys. <laughs> Taskers and monkeys. Full power Stubborn Denial, and let's let's do it. Love that. Good find. So that's my pick of the week. What about you, Lawson? Uh, so I am uh, also going to be talking about Atraxa. I am also going to try to cheat into play with a, a two-mana spell. But instead of Neoform, this list is doing it with Goyo's Vengeance. Um, the hotness of Goyo's Vengeance with Atraxa is... Atraxa letting you look at ten cards in your library is oftentimes going to be better than Grizzlebrand. Um, now, there are two copies of Grizzlebrand in this list, so... Don't don't worry your little head, but um, <laughs> it really really lets you dig and let you see a, a pretty wide span of the deck. And then the kind of interesting thing that this deck is doing is um, it is cheating on the sack um, portion of the Koyu's Vengeance by playing Ephemerate. So if you attack with the Traxa, you know gain some life off of it, and then Ephemerate it. Uh, not only are we getting to look at 10 more cards, but we are also actually getting rid of the Sacrifice Clause at the end of the turn. So we are not going to lose our Atraxa. Um, we're just going to keep it forever. So, you know, cheating death on that side of things. And then if we're going to go ahead and play Ephemerate anyways, this is modern. Like, you do get to play really powerful cards like Grief and Solitude. One of the interesting things about Atraxa is um, a lot of people, when they first saw it, they asked, is it better or worse than Grizzlebrand? And um, significantly, being four colors in Magic is way better than being one color. Pitching to Solitude is a huge thing for this deck. So if your Atraxa gets stuck in your hand, yeah, go ahead, pitch it to Grief, pitch it to Solitude, doesn't matter. We'll find We'll find a way to get another one into your graveyard at some point. The moment that an Atraxa ends up in your graveyard, um, once you cheat it into play, getting to look at 10 cards means you will find an Ephemerate. And getting to an Ephemerate and Atraxa means you'll get to have plenty of other cards in your hand. And having plenty of cards in your hand means that you can just play all of these Griefs and Solitudes without really worrying about the fact that you're going down on card advantage. 
because you can two for one yourself when you have just five for one your opponent. You know, like that is that is the power of Atraxa. The list that I ran into earlier this week with this deck also had Mox Amber in it as a kind of cute way of being able to tap for all the colors of mana and uh, let you uh, make sure you have Ephemerate mana after you get the Atraxa in play. Not a realist plays it, but I think there is definitely a lot to explore with these kind of lists. Uh, you also get to play Leyline's Binding and Shadow Prophecy, giving you great interaction and card selection um, at a you know pretty cheap cost. So, yeah, Grief, Solitude, and Ephemerate really break this list, and the fact that Ephemerate works with Atraxa's ETB trigger is just maddening. It's brilliant and maddening. But it's like, <laughs> Ephemerating Atraxa means you saw twenty cards at the top of your deck you're going to find a grief in those 20 cards Mm -hmm. and something to pitch to the grief might as well pitch it immediately and thought seize them because you're going to discard the hand size otherwise. And then if that wasn't enough, you know, you ephemerate rebound the next turn. The game is well over at this point. So if you want to stop this from beating you, you have to do it before the Goryos resolves. That's, I guess the only vulnerability, right? Is that you are playing faithful mending tainted indulgence and shadow prophecy. These are not the best cards. They're okay. Mm -hmm. They're necessary evils to get, to set up the Goryos. Um, Wayland Binding, of course, can solve a lot of permanent-based problems. Like, don't don't assume that just because you have a Leyland of the Void that you're going to win. They have Teferi and Leyland Binding. They're ready for that. So it's it's not immediately obvious, like, how to stop this deck, but once a track is down, you're, you're toast. Yeah, you, you need to kill this deck because its late game uh, is going to be way, way better than you because um, it... This deck never is going to miss on land drops. It's got plenty of ways to, you know, just kind of artificially draw through the deck. They will just eventually pay seven mana and put an attracts into play. This deck is uh, a real deal. Um, I think it's got some refinement necessary still, but, you know, this, this deck will be terrorizing people for years to come. So pretty excited about it. It just needs Neoform to have another way to get attracts into play. How are we going to make that happen? Oh, other thing to bring up about this deck, uh, I, I think you did make a pretty good point. You can't just beat this deck on being a graveyard hate pile. This deck also is doing really brutal, mean things that uh, every scam player has ever done. Um, getting to play Ephemerate with uh, Grief is a really, really powerful uh, interaction. Uh, if your opponent mulligans uh, low, looking for um, the hate pieces... If you just go turn one grief, look at your hand, take the removal spell out, now ephemerate this, take your two drop thing, and your opponent multi five, looking for a hate piece, they're down three cards in hand, and uh, you're probably winning that game no matter how good that hate piece was. Like, it's just, this deck is very, very good about, you know, beating people who are trying to be cute. Last question for you, Lawson. Atraxa, I'm seeing at. Twenty-two Are you buying at that price? Yes. You're buying at twenty-two fifty. Yeah, I mean it's it's a commander card. I mean, I don't know what you want me to say. <laughs> right. Next question. If it keeps winning like this, I mean, yeah. It costs the same amount as a breeding pool. That's a very good point. All right, Lawson. Thanks so much for coming by to tell us about these decks. It's been a real pleasure, and I just love hearing your process as you're exploring all these and really getting to the bottom of this really weird shiny shoal card. So best of luck uh, at the HBMO this weekend. 
I will report back next week on how that all went. And, you know, hopefully we'll hear again from you soon. Absolutely. No, super excited about it. Super happy to, uh, you know, be on the show once again. You know, I'm in the Austin area. So if anyone else is a, a brewer in the Texas area, um, you know, feel free to reach out at any point in time. I'd love to look at some lists. What's the best way for people to find you? Are you still streaming? Are you available on socials? Uh, so I am available on socials uh, at Lost and Zandy. Um, I know we can probably get a, a link posted there. If you're ever interested in watching any of my gameplay, um, I actually do most of my streaming nowadays actually in the Faithless Brewing Discord. So uh, one of the many benefits for being a subscriber is being in the <laughs> Discord. And uh, randomly, that's where you'll find me lurking. So, uh, you know, if, if you're really looking to you know, get a couple minutes with a guy who's played uh, at this point, uh, probably close to 50 matches with, or not 50 matches, 50 leagues um, with uh, Shining Shoal Piles. Uh, you know, feel free to find me in my cave there. Yeah, Lawson's always down to chat about cards and wild brews. Nothing's off the table. We're really glad to have you, and thanks again for stopping by. Absolutely. Deck lists for this episode can be found at our homepage, faithlessbrewing.com. And tune in next time for new brews with Capricious Hellraiser, plus testing results with Malkator Purity Overseer. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. Join the Faithless family and help support the show at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>